Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Good morning. We are coming on the air with breaking news. Israel has declared it is at war after a sudden, unprecedented and deadly surprise attack by Hamas this morning. The Palestinian militant group essentially invaded parts of Israel today, infiltrating by land, sea, even air, sending paragliders in. Hamas also launching thousands of rocket attacks, overwhelming Israel's robust defenses, and then sending armed militants into the streets of Israel, some of whom were seen cutting fences at Israel's border with Gaza City to get into the country. Hey, everybody. Welcome into an all-new episode of Can We Please Talk Podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Saveri. On the program today, everything that happened over the weekend with these unprecedented attacks by Hamas in Israel, going to be covering it all. Joining us in just a second is a professor, UCLA professor, and Gilbert Foundation Chair of Israel Studies and the author of the book, The Israel-Palestinian Conflict, What Everyone Needs to Know, and that is Dove Waxman. It's going to be joining us in just a second. Um, this is such a complex issue, Nick. Uh, you and I have covered this on the show before. Normally, I would exchange some pleasantries. We would do some light banter here. But the seriousness of what's unfolding right now in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas, um, the attacks that are happening back and forth uh, in both countries, in Gaza and in Israel, over 900 people as of this recording, uh, are left dead in Israel. More than 680 Palestinians have been killed, according to the Gaza's health ministry. Again, this information is going to change by the time you probably hear this. Uh, U.S. President Joe Biden came out and said at least 11 Americans were killed in the Hamas attacks, and others are likely have been taken hostage. 
Um, everything that's kind of unfolded with this, oh, we want to devote some seriousness and attention to this. So Dove's going to be joining us in a bit to kind of talk about not only the unprecedented attacks, but how we got here in the first place. There's a lot to get to with him on that. Um, and as we always do, we like to bring on subject matter experts that can really talk about the situation a lot better. Nick, um, before we go to the break and we toss it over to our interview with uh, Professor Waxman, what were just some of your takeaways of kind of what unfolded over the weekend? It's still unfolding right now. News networks are devoting incredible coverage to this. Shout out to Friends of the Pod, Trey Yingst, uh, Clarissa Ward of CNN, who are all out there risking their lives, putting it on the line to cover this. Um, not really, un- I mean, it says it's unprecedented, but there's always been angst and war in that uh, region of, of of the world. But now you're seeing some of these things as they're doing live hits, rockets firing all overhead and things like that. But what was just kind of your readout assessment of everything that's kind of happened? And this, as you know, this is such a hot button topic. You You say one thing and it's almost like, walking on eggshells because you could offend somebody else that's either Palestinian or, or Israeli. What do you make of it all? Yeah. I mean, my first reaction when I heard that, you know, that there was violence taking place in that part of the world is, is one of been there, done that sadly. I mean, I hate to sound jaded about it, but I think for anyone who's paid attention and I'm, you know, you and I are both in our forties, this is not new, but what felt new, what was new was hearing about the level of coordination that we had seen on on the part of Hamas and that was the part that kind of raised that raised my eyebrow because you know here's a terrorist organization that is just essentially invading a sovereign nation and doing it with a fervor that just feels like there was some level of support behind it i didn't hear the stories af- until after the fact about where like what we're learning from the wall street journal out- other outlets about the role of iran but, you know, when I first saw the rockets, I saw all the media. My first thought was, this seems like a very bold move. And this seems like something that Hamas got some level of supporting or the green light for. And I'm not trying to make myself as some Nostradamus or something. But the logic of this felt as though there was some backing that was offered in order to make this a possibility. Otherwise, what, why today or why that day? Like, why now? To you know, have a full-on strike like this, and as we're seeing, you know, days since, we're learning more and more about the level of coordination in these efforts. At the end of the day, though, and I and I credit uh, Mehdi Hassan who broke who broke this down really well on MSNBC. You know, at the end of the day, Gaza is a air is a territory made about two million people, about half of which are children. I'm quoting what he brought up, you know, recently, and it's important to know because I know we've seen recent statements about, you know. Time to hit back, go after Hamas. And I agree with it. And I'm, I'm calling them a terrorist organization. I, and I'm pretty sure that's not even a universally accepted view of Hamas. But that's just where I'm coming at it from. But when we talk about this level of violence and the, the need to respond, I would offer people the realization that we're talking about a terrorist organization and a nation and a country. This is very similar to the way we had to react to 9-11. You know, we in the end it began a war with Afghanistan, but what we knew at the time was this is a terrorist organization. And terrorist organizations are not countries. So if you are launching missile strikes, if you are engaging in violence, there's a very real possibility that people are going to get hit back, or people who did not want this conflict to happen in the first place. 
and we're talking about children. We're talking about other people. We're talking about people who are swept up in the midst of, of chaos. And it's hard to ignore the fact that there are going to be many, many people. And there are already have been many, many people who, who did not want to be a part of this. This is ultimately going to come down to the prime minister of Israel. Netanyahu has made it very clear that he is a sta- he's staunch far right on this matter. Whether you agree with it or not, and Hamas is very clear about what they want, but those are the not, it's not just them in the midst of this. And sure, sure, telling Netanyahu's picking up a weapon and doing anything about this is this is about citizens, folks. This is about people swept up in an area of violence that many of which did not ask for. Yeah, we're going to try to do our best to really kind of go in depth here with Professor Waxman about everything that has taken place in the region over you know, a history, uh, a historical period of time, tough to go all the way back into the annals of history of how this all uh, unfoiled. But when we come back after the break, Professor Waxman is going to be joining us. We're going to break all of this down when we come back after the break. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This episode is presented by the good folks over at Better Sleep, a personalized sleep experience for more restful nights and wakeful days. Nick, how's your sleeping habits, buddy? I know you got two kids. You wake up early. You go to sleep late, probably. Take me through. Are you are you sleeping better? Do you need help getting to sleep? What's, what's, what's your big uh, issue and hang up here as you're trying to fall asleep at night? My quality sleep. I, I tend to, I tend to go to sleep late. You know, I, I love to read, and but inevitably I do have to get up early. So I'm averaging probably maybe like five hours of what I would consider like quality sleep. So, yeah, I'm. I was excited you mentioned this partnership because, you know, one of the things about better sleep that's awesome is the fact that the entire sleep experience is what they focus on. Everything from sounds to help you sleep, you know, better understanding your sleep patterns. And Mike, that's that's really the breakdown that they offer. Super easy app to use. Um, I can't brag enough about it. I'm starting to use it myself just to really just better understand how I sleep and how I can improve that. Because it's we take it for granted, but almost any athlete will tell you, any professional will tell you, our understanding of sleep is coming to the forefront of what really helps to improve performance. So I'm, I'm all for it. No, you're right. Anybody will tell you, you need your eight hours at least. Improve your well-being in just one week. If you go to the link right now in our show notes, it's going to take you over to better sleep. And you can take the quiz. They have a take the quiz button that's available right there as soon as you come into the app. So that way it can adjust the sounds and everything you need to get a better quality sleep. Click the link in our show notes right now and head to bettersleep.com for a restful night's sleep. 
This episode is presented by our friends, our good friends over at Fresh Roasted Coffee. The coffee that's keeping me awake when Nick Savary's putting me to sleep with one of his trains of thought. Are you, you give me a look here, Nick. Uh, give me a little bit of how Fresh Roasted Coffee keeps you awake when I'm boring you with some of my trains of thought. Okay, thank you. <laughs> interesting introduction folks i'm a huge fan as you all know of fresh roasted coffee primarily for the simple fact about diversity if you're a tea person they've got you covered if you're a coffee person they got you covered too mike and i take our coffee very differently mike is a keurig man that is efficient that is tasty that's the way to go i am a french press person nowadays i actually grind my own beans so when i get my batch of fresh roasted coffee it goes right into the grinder then to the french press boiled water let's go but in either case our cup of coffee comes out delicious mostly because they ask you at the jump what's just tell us about you simple quiz they'll direct you to the bean or brand that you you should be getting in touch with and that's the way to go and then they just produce an incredible cup of coffee again regardless of how you do it no that's exactly right you can take the quiz over at freshroastedcoffee.com And in the show notes page right now of this episode, hit the link for a discount or enter in the promo code after you've taken the quiz, after you've selected the coffee you're going to order, enter in the promo code. Can we please get 20 for 20% off your first purchase? I'm telling you, this coffee is delicious. Go to freshroastedcoffee.com today. All right, joining us now to help us break down everything that unfolded uh, over the weekend and still unfolding in Gaza and in Israel is Professor Dove Waxman over at the UCLA. He's a professor for uh, Israel Studies. He's the director of of the Nazarian Studies for Israel Center, and he's also the author of the book, The Israel-Palestinian Conflict, What Everyone Needs to Know. Uh, Professor Waxman, Mike Leon, Nick Saveri, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on the program. You know, uh, Professor, I, I reached out to you because there, there, there's so much, obviously, to get to uh, with respect to this, and everyone wants to go into the history of kind of how we got here and and kind of what happened Saturday, because sometimes those things don't just happen in a vacuum, right? And uh, as more news is coming out about this, I would just love at the top first to kind of get your reaction and, and a brief summation as you understand it about the events that unfolded over the weekend and just some of your overall takeaways at a high level. Sure. Well, um, wherever you start the narrative, uh, it can always affect how you shape the narrative, of course. But I think it's important to start uh, really with the um, infiltration, mass infiltration of Hamas militants into Israel uh, in the early hours of Saturday morning. More than 100 Hamas militants uh, crossed over the border from Gaza Strip into Israel, crossed by land, by sea, by air. Um, They then spread out and captured a number of Israeli communities, over 20 uh, Israeli communities. Um, Many of the Israelis in those communities, Israeli civilians, this is within sovereign Israel, um, were then held hostage in their homes by Hamas militants. And many were um, taken away and abducted and taken over the border to the Gaza Strip, where they're now currently held as hostages. Uh, At the same time, uh, there were very um, brutal um, massacre 
that took place of uh, young Israelis attending a music festival um, and thousands of rockets fired into Israeli territory. So that was the, the, the terrorist attack. And I think we um, can clearly recognize that as a terrorist attack and that it targeted deliberately Israeli civilians. Uh, that's what took place on Saturday. Uh, since that terrorist attack took place, and in fact, uh, there are still uh, reports of Hamas militants inside Israel right now, uh, and still reports of exchanges of fire. Uh, not all of those militants have necessarily left uh, uh, Israel. Some of them are still there or maybe hiding. But at the same time, in response to that, Israel has law, uh, formally declared war against uh, Hamas. This is the, actually the first time that Israel has made a formal declaration of war like that, um, and now is waging uh, really uh, all-out war uh, against Hamas and, and against the Gaza Strip. So that's what's taking place as I speak. You know, oftentimes when this when an event like this happens in that part of the world, you know, we think of this as you know combatants on on both sides. But it seemed like in this recent event that what Hamas had done was just a full on strike. Now, there's obviously reports as to what may have helped to you know secure this, for lack of a better phrase. But in your just for you historically. Is that, a, is that an accurate assessment of like the level of unprecedentedness? Obviously, there was an attack, most notably, I believe, 50 years ago, an anniversary that had been that had been recognized in this. But in the history of this conflict, how often are attacks like this so blatantly one-sided to the point where we're seeing essentially an invasion? Well, I, there have been, I mean, Hamas has long carried out uh, a terrorist attacks against Israeli civilians deliberately. Hamas is a military organization, among other things. Um, it both targets Israeli soldiers, that's not terrorism, but it also deliberately targets Israeli civilians, and that is terrorism. And it's been doing that for decades now, since the early 1990s. So in that respect, it's not new. I mean, Hamas is, has conducted um, hundreds of suicide terrorist attacks inside Israel, for example. Uh, and it's also sent rockets, uh, fired thousands of rockets. Those are indiscriminate they don't necessarily deliberately target Israeli civilians, but they're indiscriminate and they often uh, end up uh, affecting Israeli civilians and terrorizing them. But this attack is beyond anything that Hamas has conducted in the past. And not um, first and foremost in terms of the number of Israelis killed. Um, this dwarfs any previous uh, attack that Hamas has carried out. In fact, more Israelis were killed uh, on Saturday in a single day than in any of Israel's wars. So this gives you a sense, this was the single worst day, the single worst um, killing of Israelis, soldiers and civilians. Uh, so this is by far the worst terrorist attack that Hamas has done. And it wasn't just uh, the numbers uh, of Israeli civilians killed, uh, but also the manner in which they were killed. This was, you know, in many cases, they were shot at close range, um, and, um, you know, as we saw with the young Israelis at the music festival, you know, something like 260 um, basically slaughtered. Um, and that, again, is something that Hamas has not done. I mean, it's carried out very uh, shocking and, and appalling terrorist attacks like suicide bo bombings and blowing up buses and restaurants. But the scale and the savagery of this is, I think, unprecedented. And that's what um, accounts for the uh, reaction that we're seeing and the shock and the horror uh, and the reaction that we're seeing in Israel since then. You know, we're going to get into a bunch of that. And, and I, it's something I want to ask you kind of adjacent to that in terms of 
the ire of people uh, in either direction. I'm going to I'm going to give you an example of that. and I'm going to ask you to react. But the first thing uh, my, my co-host loves to do is talk about a moment of literacy. The last time we covered something like this was so many different episodes ago that as a refresher for our audience listening and watching this program, you hear the term like Hamas. Uh, some in the news orgs have talked about Hezbollah and their involvement as well in the region. Can you just kind of give our audience a little bit of a 30,000 foot overview, a moment of literacy of some of these terms and how Hamas came to be? Uh, what is the actual dynamic and relationship between Israel, Palestine, Gaza Strip, and and how the folks in Gaza are living right now day to day? Like there, there's a lot of moving pieces with respect to this. And I would love for you to kind of articulate some of that to our audience. Absolutely. So first of all, in terms of what is Hamas, Hamas uh, is not just, I mean, it's often described in the American media as simply a terrorist organization. Um, and that that Hamas carries out terrorism as it did on Saturday, but it's not just a terrorist organization. It's also a political party. Um, it's And it's also historically been a social welfare organization that's provided social services to Palestinians. And that partly explains why Hamas gained support among Palestinians, not simply uh, as a uh, quote-unquote resistance organization fighting against Israel, but also by providing services to poor, needy, destitute Palestinians. And that was one of the things that helped Hamas build up its popular support. Uh, Hamas was actually founded at the early stages of the first intifada in the late 1980s. Um, but over time, it gradually developed more and more support, got a lot of support during the second intifada, um, in part for its uh, suicide uh, terrorist attacks against Israel, which were widely credited among Palestinians for forcing Israel's withdrawal, unilateral withdrawal from the Gaza Strip in 2005. And so Hamas kind of claimed credit uh, for driving Israel out of the Gaza Strip. Um, that was at least the narrative that it presented, and many Israel, many Palestinians uh, credited Hamas with that. So Hamas went on to win an election uh, in 2006 um, and uh, tried to form a, a unity government with its rival uh, Fatah, which is the more slightly more secular Palestinian party. Um, then uh, there was a kind of brief mini, essentially, civil war between Hamas and Fatah, which ultimately led Hamas to gain sole control to capture uh, the Gaza Strip entirely. And since then, that was in 2007, Hamas has been ruling over the Gaza Strip as essentially a government in the Gaza Strip, while Hamas's rival, Fatah, rules in the West Bank, in the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank. So the Palestinians are politically divided between these rivals and bitter rivals, uh, Hamas on the one hand and Fatah on the other. Hamas is a a militant organization. It's an Islamist organization. So it's committed to uh, the idea of having a Sharia ruled Palestinian state. And unlike its uh, more secular rival Fatah, ultimately Hamas wants to replace the state of Israel with a Palestinian state in all of historic Palestine. It's not just seeking Palestinian state in the West Bank, Gaza Strip, and East Jerusalem and the occupied territories. Uh, so there's ideological differences as well as uh, other differences between the two organizations. Um, many Palestinians do not support Hamas. In fact, many Palestinians in the Gaza Strip do not support Hamas. Um, essentially, Hamas has maintained its control over the Gaza Strip through, um, you know, through repression. It's an authoritarian regime there. Uh, Palestinians in the Gaza Strip do not have freedom of speech, do not have the ability to assemble and demonstrate. So we shouldn't um, uh, confuse the actions of Hamas with the views 
or the beliefs or opinions of Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. Palestinians in the Gaza Strip are not simply represented by Hamas. Uh, and that's, I think, an important distinction to recognize. Elvin, I appreciate you doing so. Um, you had tweeted out earlier, I think today or yesterday, just a recognition of what you would reference as the lack of humanity, to see it as either side, be it... Um, well, I'll let you sort of take us through, because I, I really appreciated the way you sort of broke down that either side here in either extreme um, is not the appropriate response. It's not the mentality we should have. Could you sort of take everyone a little bit through the, the thoughts yeah, you were sure. having? Well, think, and sort first of, yeah. of all, it's, um, it's essential to recognize that, um, you know, there are uh, lots of victims in this. This is not a simple um, co conflict which can be reduced to, to, you know, good guys and bad guys. There's one side that's the, uh, the, the oppressed and the other the oppressor. One side is the colonized and the other side is the colonist. These kind of very simplistic binaries mask a much more complex reality, a reality in which both peoples are, are just like the rest of us trying to live their lives. Um, and I think both peoples are deeply traumatized by what has been in now over a century of conflict between them. Um, and what I think is most disturbing to see, not so much among Israelis and Palestinians, because it's kind of understandable, it's tragic that they uh, have in many, not all, but many hate, have learned to hate each other and even dehumanize each other and don't have a great deal of uh, compassion or empathy for each other. But given the long history of conflict between them, and the suffering and the loss and the grief that they've experienced, you know, that's kind of understandable. What really is uh, less understandable and is really, I think, reprehensible is the ways in which people around the world, uh, including in the United States, you know, have kind of expressed the same kind of dehumanization of the other side, the same lack of compassion and empathy, uh, and the willingness to somehow overlook or rationalize or justify uh, or justify the deaths of innocent civilians on one side or the other. So those who support the Palestinians somehow think it's okay, or they can uh, overlook the fact that Israeli civilians, innocent Israeli civilians were killed in, uh, in this and abducted. And similarly, those who support Israel somehow turn a blind eye to the fact that Palestinian civilians are the ones who are being, uh, in many cases, killed and wounded and left homeless by uh, the bombs that are currently falling on the Gaza Strip. So I think amidst everything else, we can you know, argue about the rights and wrongs of the conflict, but it's, um, you know, it's always important to have in the forefront of our mind that, the, that, that, these are, that civilians on both sides are suffering through this. And I'm not suggesting that they're suffering always to the same extent. Palestinian civilians have suffered uh, more seriously in recent years than, than Israeli civilians have. But on Saturday, it was Israeli civilians who uh, really bought the high price. And I think, you know, um, we should be able to acknowledge the, the suffering and the losses uh, for civilians on both sides and call for civilians on both sides to be protected from this violence. Very well said. And, you know, it kind of ate into the follow up question I was going to ask you about social media ire, because there's so many different people now posting things of I stand with Israel and the language and rhetoric that you hear around it is like, if you don't support this, you are against us. But it's like, you can't talk about, uh, well, first off, you should be condemning violence on both sides, obviously. But what about what is happening in Gaza? 2.2 million people that are living in what people describe as an open air prison. I don't know too many countries that are described like that, Professor. So I, I don't want to eat too much into that, into that follow up question, because you answered it brilliantly there. And uh, for our producer, Tim, 
I think he knows what clip to cut uh, for social media. I did want to ask you a follow-up question about a clip I'm going to play from you from NBC News uh, correspondent Richard Engel. He's a chief foreign correspondent over there. He got asked a question over the weekend as this was breaking about why Hamas is blaming Israel for this attack. I want to get your response on the other side. Take a listen to this. There's a long answer to that in that uh, the the occupation of the Palestinian territories. Uh, when you when you go to Gaza, Gaza is often compared to the world's biggest open air prison, or it's described as the world's biggest open air prison. And, and Raf was just talking about that uh, a moment ago. And by the way, he's doing a fantastic job, and I hope people are are, are recognizing that. Um, he, the the area has two cities: it has Han Yunus and Gaza City. Uh, the rest of it is, is sort of desert and and farmland, and it is densely populated and it is run like a prison. If you are inside uh, the Gaza Strip, you can't leave. You need uh, permission from the Israelis to, to exit, which is very difficult to obtain. Uh, most people never obtain it. Or you need uh, the permission in, in the south uh, from, from the Egyptian government. They also rarely uh, give permission. So if you are born in Gaza uh, and you've done nothing uh, except, uh, except live there your whole life, you are still, uh, your life is to live as a prisoner inside this territory. So, Professor, you hear something like that. I first, I want you to kind of assess, you know, what we were just talking about before about an open air prison and people living under those conditions. And if what he said is accurate, but where do we go from here? If we have people that are living under that type of regime, or at least they can't leave freely, move about freely. And now we have an attack that happened in Israel, condemning the violence across all of it. Where do we go from here? Where is the opportunity for peace in the region, a two-state solution? Like, where does this all end up shaking out? Because it seems like we're running around in circles and we have been four decades, like you said at the beginning of the program, uh, with respect to this conflict. Well, I think, um, first of all, we need to try to reduce as much as possible human suffering um, and, and the violence. I mean, peace, of course, I would love to see peace between Israel and the Palestinians, and I believe that is possible in the long run. But right now, I think the more um, immediate concern is to, is to, to prevent human suffering. And, and, and there's no doubt that Palestinian civilians in Gaza have been suffering greatly for many, many years now. And unfortunately, and tragically, their suffering only comes to the attention of uh, the international community and of world leaders when violence happens. Um, it seems that when there's no violence, people forget about the suffering of Palestinians in the Gaza Strip, who have indeed, as, as, as uh, you just heard, been living for um, now 16 years under a Israeli blockade, which Egypt also maintains of the Gaza Strip, um, a blockade which has prevented you know, many goods from entering the country. It's really basically paralyzed Gaza's economy. It's produced a humanitarian uh, catastrophe in the Gaza Strip. And that's been going on for years um, and, you know, it's been largely ignored. Um, and that is um, something that I think we can condemn. Certainly uh, successive Israeli governments for maintaining this blockade, um, even though it's really, I think, not served Israel's interest and has done great harm to Palestinian civilians. It's also uh, Hamas who deserves to be condemned for this, as, as well as other countries like Egypt and indeed the United States, which has really not done very much to try to end the suffering of Gazans. Um, so um, I think first, and so what will hopefully, I hope if anything good possibly can come out of this, I'm not 
very optimistic, but it would be that we can actually try to change the situation, does not just go back to the, sta the status quo ante, not just end the violence and, and let the situation continue where a repressive, violent regime such as Hamas rules over the Gaza Strip while Palestinian civilians are imprisoned there, unable to lead their lives, unable to find jobs, unable to feed themselves. Many are dependent upon international assistance, food assistance, simply to live. So we can't go back to that. The situation last week before that terrorist attack took place was absolutely unacceptable. I think we can condemn that and we can condemn the policies of Israeli governments that created that produce that situation, just as we should also condemn Hamas policies. I don't think we need have to uh, pick a side here or choose. There's enough blame to go around. But ultimately, hopefully, my hope is, and it's a slim one, that this could maybe marshal the international attention and determination to really do something about uh, the Gaza Strip, as well as what's happening in the West Bank as well. Right now, attention's on the Gaza Strip, but uh, Palestinians uh, are also suffering in the West Bank. They've been living under and more than 54 years of Israeli occupation with, uh, with a no equal rights. Um, and that is also a situation that needs to be addressed. So um, there's a, a lot that needs to be done. I think first and foremost, it's about prevention of violence and ensuring that people can have their basic needs met. Ultimately, I'd love for there to be peace as well, but I think we need to first of all focus on for stopping people from being killed and ensuring that their their basic needs are met, and then we can, you know, try to improve the uh, psychological environment between the two sides and re reduce some of this dehumanization and hatred that we've been uh, witnessing over the last few days, and then talk about actually moving toward uh, a more moving toward uh, peaceful coexistence. That's a helpful. That's an important frame, I would argue. I want to contrast that for a moment with some recent statements we've seen from some elected officials in the U.S. Congress, uh, particularly the comments from Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib and Representative Cory Bush. And you know, for those who have not heard, who've, heard, who've read these tweets, rather, uh, the first one I'll read, of course, is from uh, Congresswoman Tlaib, which reads, the failure to recognize the violent reality of living under siege, occupation, and apartheid makes no one safer. No person, no child anywhere should have to suffer or live in fear of violence. We cannot ignore the humanity in each other. As long as our country, the U.S., provides billion and unconditional funding to support the apartheid government, this heartbreaking cycle of violence will continue. On the other side with Corey Bush was, re was read the following. As part of achieving a just and lasting peace, we must do our part to stop this violence and trauma by ending U.S. government support for Israeli military occupation and apartheid. What you just presented a moment ago is the is the both short term and the long term ways of demonstrating empathy. What I just read is not quite the same. And if it's okay with you, can you just take us through just your reactions as you hear sort of that sort of perspective, but also as a histor as as a historian, like someone who's well versed in in this conflict historically, what's your sense of of that recent sort of recognition of or this recent perspective that israel seems to be to typically to be who we blame or some people seem to blame for this conflict well um yeah so first of all i think it's important that those statements um convey the impression that this conflict um and the violence is purely a product of israel's occupation of palestinian territories which began in 1967 
that's actually um, historically wrong. Um, simply, um, the, the 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 conflict between is Israelis and Palestinians before uh, between Zionists and and Palestinian Arabs began actually much earlier than the Israeli occupation of the West Bank, Gaza Strip and East Jerusalem. So while I do think that the Israeli occupation, ongoing occupation, um, is completely unjustifiable, and in fact, in fact I think it's a doesn't serve Israel's security interests. Um, but that is not the cause, the original cause of this conflict. And nor is it the reason, by the way, for Hamas's violence, because Hamas is not seeking simply to end the Israeli occupation of the West Bank in Gaza. Hamas is seeking ultimately to end Israel. It wants to have a Palestinian state in all of historic Palestine, which includes present day Israel. So historically, it's a, um, a misreading um, um, to put it uh, generously, of this conflict, to, to attribute it solely to the occupation. Bad as the occupation is, and I'm no um, defender of the occupation, um, I think it would be wrong to, to say that that is the, you know, the sole source of violence, and if we were to end that, that would just um, alleviate the problem. And it's also, I think, simplistic to, to, to claim that if the United States were to uh, cut its aid to Israel, that would also somehow magically and uh, the situation. For one thing, Israel, though that aid is very valuable to Israel, Israel is not dependent upon that aid in the way that it might was in the past. So, uh, so if, it, if the United States was to end its support, uh, military or its financial support for Israel, which is mostly a, a subsidy for American arms match manufacturers, because most of the money that the United States gives to Israel, those billions of dollars, actually has to be spent on the purchases of American arms. Um, but um, you know, even if the United States tomorrow were to decide to cut off that uh, military aid, I don't think that would necessarily dramatically change Israeli policy overnight. As long as the Israelis public believe, and many of them do, that it is too dangerous for Israel to withdraw from the West Bank, that it is too dangerous to allow a Palestinian state to be established, that that is what they believe. And there's good reason for why they believe that it's not just a fantasy or um, they 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 see that as a potential threat, that particularly the, the risk that Hamas could take over a Palestinian state, um, then they're not going to leave the West Bank. They're not going to end the occupation. So getting Israelis out of much of the West Bank, getting Israel to end the occupation requires understanding not just the suffering of Palestinians, but also the legitimate concerns and fears of Israelis. Um, and so that does require empathy and compassion for both sides. If you want to change the situation on the ground, you have to be able to understand what's driving that. And it's not just a kind of de uh, a territorial greed, though that is true for some uh, hardliners in Israel. That's the minority. Many Israelis would quite happily get out tomorrow and withdraw from the West Bank if they thought they could do so safely. Professor Waxman, I... I can't thank you enough for coming on the program. Before we let you go, one thing I did want you to do is just trying to give some final space here because, you know, this is an audio podcast format. I love a format like this because it, it allows subject matter experts to kind of go on and explain things a little bit more in depth. But if you could, for our audience that's listening to this and the information is probably dated by the time they listen to it, the death toll continues to rise. Uh, you know, Bibi Netanyahu did say that we are at war, declaring war, like you mentioned for the first time in a while against Hamas. Uh, what are some takeaways that you would want to leave with the audience about the conflict overall and kind of where we go with here? Or have you really stated it all? Or is there anything that no stone left unturned here in terms of what you would want somebody to take away? Maybe they want to learn a little bit more about it. What would you recommend? 
Yeah, well, first of all, I want to, I would repeat the point that I made earlier, that this isn't a zero-sum conflict, that one shouldn't have to take a side uh, and ignore the other side suffering, that, in fact, ultimately, the interests of Israelis and Palestinians are um, go together. And I think it's important for people to, you know, keep in mind the uh, civilians on both sides of this conflict and not feel that they have to pick a side or support one side or the other. And reckon, and often it's framed in these terms and propagandists on both sides would like people to obviously, you know, uh, demonize the other side. But I think people should try uh, to avoid that. But it's also important to recognize that the United States has a role in this. The United States is Israel's biggest ally. Um, and this affects many Americans. Many Americans have ties to the region. Many Americans uh, care deeply about what's happening there. This isn't just a distant conflict involving Israelis and Palestinians thousands of miles away. This is something that actually has ripple effects. We're seeing it on the streets of American cities. We're seeing it on college campuses and other places. So it requires all of us uh, to, to have that empathy and compassion and understanding and try to dial down, I think, some of the uh, vitriol um, and avoid the kind of polarization that is unfortunately taking place over this issue in uh, certainly in American politics and, uh, and increasingly in American society at large. Professor Dove Waxman, you can catch him, obviously, if you're at the campus of UCLA, you, you may have one of his classes there. He's a professor of Israel Studies, also the director of the Nazarian Studies for Israel Center. And go check out his book, by the way, The Israel-Palestinian Conflict, What Everyone Needs to Know. I can't thank you enough for hopping on the podcast today and giving us a couple minutes and kind of breaking this all down. Continued success to you, sir. Please stay safe. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's a pleasure talking with you. This episode is presented by the good folks over at Nerd Focus. New energy drink sponsor on the show, Nick. Let me ask you a quick question. Do you lack focus and concentration, motivation? Do you need something to boost your stamina and strength? I do. You know, coffee coffee isn't enough, so I'm always looking for other options. Well, I got something for you, Nick, that's going to boost your stamina and strength. It's going to enhance your focus and concentration. We're going to ramp up your motivation. We're going to provide alertness and stimulation. We're going to even improve your mood, Nick, which a lot of people on this on the comments are going to be happy with. I got the original Think Drink infused with powerful nootropics, performance-boosting nutrients, Click the link in our show notes right now to get a special offer on Nerd Focus Beverages for being a Can We Please Talk listener. Nerd Focus, there's a nerd in everyone. All right, our thank yous there to Professor Dove Waxman. Like I mentioned, first and foremost, go, go check out his book, The Israel-Palestinian Conflict, What Everyone Needs to Know, available wherever books are sold. If you're on the campus of UCLA, uh, you're fortunate enough to have this man as your professor, we'd love to hear from you. Can we please talk podcast at gmail.com? And we're also a bit jealous because this is what we try to do, man. Like this is the basis of this show, subject matter experts talking about things that maybe people are not well-versed in. They don't understand. They understand a little, they think they understand, and then they get something historically inaccurate. Like he pointed out there uh, about something in 1967. Um, and so there's just so much in there and people maybe don't know what to do uh, in terms of like researching this conflict, understanding it. Here is somebody who, this is what he does for a living. Like he's studying this stuff, has uh, incredible perspective and knowledge about it. Um, and I, what I loved about him and why I reached out to him, such short notice that he was able to come on the show. So I can't thank him enough for that. But I found that 
there were people that, you know, are very ardent about discussing the what's happening uh, to the Palestinian folks in Gaza, right? That follow him. And then there's very pro-Israel people that follow him, which signified to me, just like how you know I try to do on this, is be this radical centrist that is really moving in this center lane and can look at both sides and say there's equal blame to go around here, right? Uh, Hamas attacking uh, innocent Israeli uh, civilians and citizens, and then also what is happening with the oppressive government and um, everything that's playing out there. Like I just, I just really liked not only some of the stuff that he said, but also his viewpoints that he's been sharing on Twitter and he's been very vocal about in social media, which I think is very important right now because it's always happens with conflicts, cooler heads, we need cooler heads to prevail. It doesn't look like that's going to happen here, but at least hearing somebody, you never know. You never know where um, the content travels to and, and, and who hears what and why and takes away a little bit more knowledge from it. So I appreciate Professor Waxman for coming on the program. Before we wrap, Nick, uh, just your quick thoughts on not only the interview, but some of the stuff we talked about before we tossed it to the interview. Yeah, no, I, I, Dove is a is a good reason why we do this show uh, to talk to informed people. You know, we I asked a question about or, or asked for a response to you know two members of Congress who decide to pipe in with their views, and I think sometimes it's important to stress the difference between root cause um, and just talking out of your ass. So, you know, what we saw with the comments from those two members of Congress was just reactionary statements that really had no place at this given moment. I think it's, you know, the professor does a great job of explaining like the, the history or at least giving us a taste of, of the history of leading up to these, to this conflict, but also broke down the fact that what we just saw this weekend is not an example necessarily of sort of history building up to this moment. It's essentially a terrorist organization that enacted a violent strike period, end of sentence. So when you have members of Congress who, folks, these people have staffs, you know, they have, we all have the internet, most people do, um, to come out there and use this as an opportunity to put forward a stance that you as an elected official have is reckless. Um, so when you see comments about, well, this is a good, you know, this is the time to talk about questioning, you know, how much money the U.S. sends to Israel, and it's just done in poor taste. And and honestly, it's hack. It And it, this is part of the act for some members of Congress. And this seemed like poor choice of words. Um, the professor explained historically. That was the thing that made drove me the craziest was it's even historically inaccurate what they wrote. Right. You think they'd vet this stuff. You know, they get paid. Like, what exactly they do it? Anyway, I'm going to say I'm going to stop the van ranting, van ranting while. Mike will get that in text later. And some of you folks may, may see it on Twitter if I decide to pop off with these two you know, people who are taking our tax dollars and wasting it on Twitter when they could be easily doing something for their district. Um, I was just glad to have the professor on to actually shed some light. And, and shame on folks who use this opportunity right now, not just members of Congress, people in general, to try to wax poetic about um, their respective agendas as opposed to recognizing the fact that this is a humanitarian crisis and a terrorist attack. Well said. Because Ronald McDaniels from the RNC said something as well about using this to your political advantage. And that was wrong. 
as well. We leave it right there. Uh, shout out to Professor Waxman. Like I mentioned, you want to watch the video portion of our interview with him. Head over to our YouTube channel. Type in Can We Please Talk Podcast. We should pop right up. Do me a favor while you're there. Hit the subscribe button. Audio podcast platforms. You know by now. Apple, Spotify, Google. Shout out to everybody listens to us over on Good Pods. Shout out to the folks that listen to us on YouTube Music. Download the YouTube Music app and you can check out our show. Shout out to Acast as well, our hosting platform. Can't do it without them, and we can't do it without each and every one of you that listens into this program. As always, I am Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Saveri. We'll see everybody next time. Bye.